What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Team Chat Podcast, a weekly show where we talk about video games, the ones we love, the ones we hate, and everything in between. I'm one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined by Rachel Mogan. How's it going? If this is your first time listening, thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to the show across podcast services such as iTunes or SoundCloud, as well as our YouTube channel where you can watch the video version of each episode. Quick side note, going to throw this in. We recently got uh, added to the TuneIn podcast directory website. Oh, so, excellent. Uh, we, and I had that, and I actually made on our website, teamchatpodcast.com. You can go there, and there's a page that is where to watch or where to listen, and it lists everywhere. Awesome. With links built in, so you can go find us on all the things. Because we also started with the last couple of weeks, I started adding the videos to Twitch as well. So if you're more into Twitch than the YouTube, you can check us out and at least watch the last two re- most recent episodes. I'm and this one, I'm not going to go back and try to recto- retroactively add everything. It will take four. That would take forever. Forever. And Twitch takes a really long time to process videos, so yeah. it's a lot lot slower than YouTube. But anyway. If you have any thoughts, questions, or suggestions, you can email us at teamchatpodcast.gmail.com or find us online on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and any of the other places that I just mentioned in the Where to Listen page on our teamchatpodcast.com. Finally, we are a completely listener-supported show, so if you are really enjoying and loving what we're creating, please check out our Patreon page where you can support the show and in return. We will give you cool perks like getting the episodes early before they're released on Tuesday and access to our private Team Chat Podcast Discord server. If not, that's totally fine. We'll keep making the show week after week and bringing you great gaming content. Find out more at patreon.com slash teamchatpodcast. And a special thank you, as always, to our current patrons who are making this show possible every week. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I was thinking the patrons, not you. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. I thought you meant for like a flawless read through. No, that's bits. no. I was just <laughs> looking for a little glory. But yes, no. thank you to all of our patrons. Well, yeah, we love you the deeply. Patrons. <laughs> we love you. All right. Well, today, since last week we did not get to the most of our discussion on rhyme, but especially about that article, we did want to start on this. This is actually going to be a very rhyme heavy episode, being that Mogan has quickly wrapped up the rest of the game and will be giving a full review. Uh, of that game. So we'll touch on the article, Mogan's full review. But before we get to all of that, though, we do got to get that news, that sweet, sweet news gotta in get upcoming that releases. Sweet news. With our moment with Mogan. So, as of this episode's air date on April 10th, or really, like I said last time, I think April is kind of looking, it's a light month on yeah. actual releases. So, April 10th, we have Extinction for PS4, Xbox One, and PC. And then coming soon, and I'm putting that in quotes because it's like not that soon, it's just like soonish. Yeah. Uh, Yakuza 6, The Song of Life for PS4, April 17th. And a little bit further down the line from that, Total War Saga, Thrones of Britannia, that is one whole title, Mm -hmm. Total War Saga, Thrones of Britannia, and Metal Max Xeno for PS4 and Vita, both April 19th. And then we're not going to talk about all the cool stuff coming out on April 20th. We're going to save that for a little bit later. That's a lot of stuff Yeah, it's a lot of cool stuff coming out on that day. day. But we're going to circle back to that later. And then in just random little bits and bobs news from mm-hmm. around around the video game world, Pokemon Sun and Moon, they are releasing their new free legendary Pokemon for people that still have Sun and Moon. Target stores are going to be hosting the distribution from April 22nd through, 20, through the 29th of Raikou and Entei, okay. two favorite legendaries. I don't know if you remember the Pokemon movie. I Perhaps, no, good I sir. Not. I do not. And, <laughs> I do not. 
Day was Missed from. that one. Oh, it's a classic. We should have a watch party. Um, we should. We should start doing like <laughs> segments or reviews of video game movies and just oh, like putting those out every once so in a while. That would be so good to do on the Discord. That would be. We could have like nights where we watch bad video game movies. They're all bad, so that's oh, yeah. really an oxymoron. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're unanimously bad. I meant to do that with in like an actual timely one and do that with the new Tomb Raider, but oh, I didn't get around yes. to seeing it. Uh, but anyways, and then in other news, PUBG is getting a new map called Savage. It's going to be inspired by Southeast Asia. It is currently being tested. Uh, I think you have to have a code to be mm. able to test it, so it's not open to everybody, but for PUBG players who haven't yet discovered Fortnite, there you go. That's a new <laughs> thing for you. And then there are, this is like more gossip than actually news. Ooh. There's some new clues hinting at a definitive revival for the Spyro series. Hey everybody, gotta do a quick update here. As Mogan said, she's about to talk about Spyro rumors, but that is because we recorded this episode literally two days before the Spyro Reignited trilogy was announced. So this news is a little moot and void now at this point, but still wanted to add in this little update to say that we are both very excited for the Spyro Reignited trilogy to be coming out this September, so we'll be eagerly looking forward to that game's release. But now you can listen to us talk about the, at the time, rumors of the Spyro trilogy remaster. Okay, I haven't been hearing a lot about this. So at least part of this is kind of not controversial. It's just super iffy because it's really not clear if it's legit or if it might actually be like a belated April Fool's Day prank. Because even though we're talking about it on April 10th, mm -hmm. it would have happened right around April 1st. So IGN was actually mailed a physical, like they got a gift. It was a purple scaly egg. With a super like vague note that said, oh, from your friend so-and-so. Uh, they, they were like, uh, the note said, something's about to hatch. And it was signed like Frank. I don't know. It was like a super not real name. Yeah. And if you Google the name, it comes up with a Twitter account. And the handle for the Twitter account is Spyro the Dragon. Obviously, anyone can make a Twitter, though. And right. anyone can mail something to IGN. So either someone went really out of their way to prank IGN about the Spyro series or it's legit and which I would think at some point they're going to bring it back. I think they are. So I, mean, they I did think it with that Crash Bandicoot yeah, like they it did only it with makes all sense. that stuff. So I and think E3's right around the corner. To. Yeah, but the point is I think previously we had said that we were expecting them to make an, an announcement sometime in March that mm -hmm. obviously did not happen. Right. But if these clues are legit, if these little hints are legit, then that Spyro's uh, remake should be fingers crossed being announced soon. Yeah. And then Xbox. This is actually a little awkward because the video is uh, going to be airing at the same time that this episode Ooh. is being recorded. Okay. So awkward. But today, April 10th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time, Xbox is making a new announcement uh, during yeah during our recording. It's going to feature more information on beef, beefed up backwards compatibility Been hearing a lot for about the this original too. Xbox games. So Xbox people, uh, that is something that you actually can look forward to. That sounds like it's going to be pretty cool. Yep. Very nice. Got that news out of the way. Looking forward to all those big gaming moments coming up. Speaking of, one of the games on there that you were talking about is about to be released. Something had like Metal Max something or the other. Yeah, whatever it is called. I kept I didn't calling care it about Mad that. Max. I didn't care about I that, but that's what, what it is. reminded me of. In Mad Max, the game that came out two, three years ago, is the PS Plus game for April. That's right. Yeah, it Another is. Another great month. Right. What's the other one? It's Mad Max uh, and... 
I know that I had no interest in yeah, either I didn't, of them. I, I've been wanting to play the Mad Max one never enough to actually buy it, so this is great for me. But um, I mean, but then it's still going to sit like very far down at the list. Uh, but still, I, I don't remember what the other one is. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of like a good thing for me because I already have so many other games. Right. It's like, I don't have time I, for Mad Max A, I need to save one. on the storage. Right. B, I need time dedicated to the other games. Right. So yeah. we'll, so. we'll chalk it up to a win. We'll get, add it to the backlog. We'll get to it. 10 years from now. It's no big deal. No big deal at all. All right, but as I said before, it is time to get into some rhyme heaviness, some rhyme goodness, and talk about... Why don't you just call it rhyme time? Rhyme time. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Rhyme time. All righty. So Rhyme, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, is a uh, game from came out in 2017 uh, from the Spanish studio Tequila Works. So this article that we talked about, we shared it in a couple weeks ago when Mogan did her first impressions on the game when she had just started. And so, but now we talked about this a little bit. And the thing is about it is we tweeted it out. Sorry, I'll spit it out. We tweeted out this article from Eurogamer written by Robert Purchase. Purchase. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Purchase. 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 <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just. Anyway, I'm sorry if I if I butchered that. Parcheesi is an old game you see that <laughs> no, old I played people. Okay, I played a lot of Parcheesi in my day, but uh, just I'm gonna say Purchase for this guy. Uh, but anyway, so this is from Eurogamer, and it's Tequila Works opens up about the turbulent development of Rhyme. So I'm just gonna quickly breeze through this so we can get get a little bit more backstory into this. So, uh, small Spanish studio Tequila Works has opened up about the turbulent development of a mode of exploration game, Rhyme. It was a game announced with a bang as PlayStation 4 exclusive in 2013, but it dropped exclusivity and dropped off the radar and didn't materialize until May of this year, being 2017, so May 2017. So the game's almost a year old by now. Yeah, pretty okay, much. Cool. So a good time for a review. I know, right? Time- that worked yeah, out so well. That was intentional, everybody. Not fake at all. So the, uh, so the Tequila Works co-founder Raul Rubio said, quote, Originally we wanted to create something very small, a very small indie title. We never expected to be compared to The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker, for example, or Ico, which we talked about when yeah. you're in your first impressions how we how we, we decided the art styles seemed very similar to Wind Waker. And I think that that probably is what drew a lot of the comparison from the community in terms of actual play. I think it matches up more to games like Ico for example, mm-hmm. but those are two extremely well from certain players like myself, certain two extremely well-beloved games that in gaming terms, they're kind of like legendary juggernauts at this point. And essentially what the article is trying to get around to is that drawing those comparisons when a game is still in development creates a ton of pressure on the studio. And both of those games were from way bigger publishers, from bigger studios. They had more resources. Mm -hmm. So for Tequila Works to suddenly be shouldered with all of this expectation and pressure, that was something they had to deal with, and they went around dealing that dealing with that pressure in both good and bad ways, as right. the article goes on to say. So as you were saying, yeah, only 18 people are in were in Tequila Works tiny. when this was being made. Very That's tiny compared to the studios to making, the making Legend of Zelda games or Ico. Uh, so, he, so he goes on to say, well, we're screwed because we're going to achieve any of those expectations. We're not going to achieve any of those expectations. There's no way. And that was in 2013, he said, when the game had been previously announced. And we knew we had to deliver or we were fucked, basically. But but how did we dealt with that was problematic. So basically what it goes on to say is they did go ahead and take away the PS4 exclusivity that they had originally talked about. As you know now, the game is out on Xbox One and Switch. And I believe Steam also. Yeah, I think you it's can also get it on across PC. almost all platforms. Uh, so PS4, Xbox One, Switch... 
super easy to get your hands on. Right. So they basically had to go and do a whole lot of reworking, uh, going back to basically to the drawing board. Um, because they had made it more difficult, added in more things that you had to take advantage of, which I'm sure Mogan will touch on a bit in her full review. And so they wanted to revert back to their original vision of the game. And so it was this whole big thing of having to go back to the beginning. And a lot of people, uh, and that's what really caused all this conflict because they dropped off the map as I said earlier in the in the thing nobody really heard about the game they didn't even want or they continued to think that this wasn't going to happen uh they're the you know they were kind of put on a gag order about what they could and couldn't yeah, talk the about the marketing team was like don't say anything about it until our official announcement date keep your mouth shut so from an outsider perspective if you're looking for this indie title that's in progress you haven't heard anything about it in a couple of years yeah losing that momentum of initial excitement from announcement to eventually years later, the game being released way longer, uh, a much farther amount of time than anyone expected right. it to be. You can potentially lose out on a lot of people that were really jazzed about something in the early game. Yeah. So a lot of these complications just led to uh, internal turbulence within the studio, I think. Right. So it, all this to say that the game eventually did come out. They were able to fight through all of this negative press that was welling up around the radio silence on the title and were eventually able to make from, well, I don't want to steal any of your thunder. So let's let's hear about the game now. So I actually, for the first time ever, not the first time ever, but since like episode 10, I'm glad I you actually, finally decided to come prepared. I actually to bothered to write some notes. And that's really because. Uh, Rhyme turned out to be something really unexpected for me. I had very little expectation of this game going into it other than essentially the base images that I had seen. Right. What drew me to Rhyme wasn't the story because I didn't know anything about the story. Everything that drew me to Rhyme was visual. Mm -hmm. The visual component of the game that I saw in the trailers and in gameplay footage early on, I thought, that's a beautiful game. I love the aesthetic. I love the feel of it. I love the look. Mm -hmm. I want to play that. But here's the thing. Obviously, my interest level was not high enough for me to get the game when it was actually uh, when it was released. Right. I didn't bother to actually buy it at all. In fact, I, the only reason I played this game is because it was a PlayStation Plus exclusive just a couple of months ago. So for me, it was free. Uh, if you are actually purchasing the game, I know the price in Canadian dollars, thanks to some of our patrons. I saw that on the Discord. <laughs> so it's forty Canada dollars. I'm pretty sure it's like twenty dollars. Yeah, no. No, no, it's actually not. So uh, in American dollars, it's more like $40 as well. Oh. So it's on sale. I don't sale. know the yeah. I haven't kept up. But that is the Switch version. So the Switch oh, okay. version has that unfortunate Switch tax. So, I'm going to, so, yeah. while, while you're talking, I'm going to see how much yeah. it is right now. The Switch version is a little bit more expensive. I think you can buy it on PlayStation for $25. That's what I was about to say. I that sounds more right for PlayStation and Xbox. Uh, it's not a full-priced game. And that's primarily, I think, based not on the quality of the game, but on the amount of gameplay time. I would say that if you were really rushing through it, you could probably finish Rhyme in seven to eight hours. I think the average player is more likely to put in more like eight to 12 hours. So it's more or less a 10 hour game, we could say. Very similar to about how much time I personally put into Fee, which is, you know, one of the other more recent games that I've played and finished. 
I finished at least two Look games this year. I almost never actually finish games. And to be fair, one of the few things that I think I did get wrong from my first impressions was how far I thought I was in the game. Oh, really? When we did the first impressions, I wasn't super far off. Really, I think I was about two-fifths of mm-hmm. the way done. And I say that very intentionally because I was on stage two of five. There are quite literally five stages to the oh, game. Okay. And like, that's not even a spoiler, really. It's just like, no, there's five like levels, basically. Right. Uh, and as we talked about in First Impressions, because of all of the imagery I had been exposed to before getting my hands on the game, I thought that when you got into the tower, that was like end game. Wrong, wrong, wrong. So stage one is when you as... Okay, here's a fun little side. Is it not Shelby? It's not Shelby. Okay. <laughs> so from last time from first impressions, you may remember that the joke was that I like I just you're you're a nameless protagonist more or less. And I was like, Shelby, why not? How about it? And throughout the entire game, I continued to think of my title character as Shelby. I was like, Oh, come on, Shelby. You can climb up that cliff. Be be strong, be tough. And uh, as it turns out, I only found out Shelby's actual name on the end screen in oh, well, the credits because he has a voice like he does shouting he doesn't talk but he like shouts and does little sing songs uh, and as it turns out his name is Enu I believe okay. E-N-U see but that would have been like you had to jump ahead you could have potentially seen some spoilers yeah, if I you wanted seen to look spoilers, at the name so and I, I really I've, give you a pass for going with I've Shelby connected with Shelby yeah. on a personal level <laughs> so I'm gonna continue to refer to the title character as Shelby even though that's not even a little accurate I'll allow it so a uh, Similar to what we did with Jarrett's discussion of Assassin's Creed Origins, we're going to start the review with some really broad, non-spoilery information, and then closer to the end of the review, I will warn you before we go into some more uh, definitive story spoilers. So I'll let you know when those are about to uh, come along the line, so you 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 can still listen to it now and get what you need to know out of the game. Nice. So again, what did you find? It's $25? $29, actually. So $30. A little bit more. Yeah, so 30 bucks on PS4, 40 if you're playing on Switch, hashtag unfortunate, or if you're Canadian, it's still 40 Canada bucks. Thanks for I don't the even tip, know Ark. what that is. Yeah, thanks, Ark. Uh, so in total, the game is probably about 8 to 10 hours long, not including extra time spent exploring. And I, have that really, I really want to put an emphasis on that because I feel like when I was in the early stages of the game, stages one and two, I was really rushing through it, and I didn't realize I was rushing through it. Uh, I cannot stress this enough, going slow and actually bothering to explore the stages before you move on, that's really how you're going to get a lot of your quality playtime out of the game. If you rush through it, you're still going to get massive impact out of the story itself, but in terms of sheer gameplay and enjoyability, take your time, actually bother to go through each stage very carefully because there were things that I didn't even realize were collectibles until stage three. Oh, wow. Because I was just blazing through it. I got to stage three, found a collectible by accident. Turns out it was a whole new category that I didn't even know there was. Oh. So there are probably about, uh, I want to say, 
four to five categories of different types of collectibles you can get. I'm not going to talk about one of them because it's actually really, you really have to be looking to find it and I don't want to give too much away. Uh, but some of the more common ones are keyholes, which give you memories essentially, because when Shelby washes up on shore, uh, he appears to have no memory of what's going on and you're just kind of a nameless person on a mystical island. Okay. So there are keyholes, which give you your memories. Uh, there are shells, which compose the different uh, pieces of a song eventually. There are basically just like um, stone fragments for each stage. There might be like four, there are three for some, there's only two for one stage. The stone fragments, they're really just a collectible. That's the thing. They have no real story component to them. They're just pieces that you can find throughout the map. And then there's uh, toys. So the toys are a really fun thing that you can find as well because it'll be like a pinwheel and it's like, oh, that's so fun. I love pinwheels. Um, so there are a lot of collectibles that you can get throughout the game that really are not mandatory none of the collectibles are required. You can absolutely pick up none of them and still complete the game. You're but, not going to platinum it, of course. There you go. That's the question. But, but yeah, you probably have not, to get those if you yeah, want those you, trophies. You do, you do need them if you want to actually get all the trophies, platinum the game, and they are just a fun side thing that motivate you to actually progress through the levels at a more steady pace and actually bother to go, in some cases, what seems like wildly out of your way to find things that you had no idea were back there. Like, I've literally fallen into some <laughs> things and been like, oh, okay. I didn't I realize I this was here. down here. I guess I could look around down here. So there's a lot to be found if you actually take the time to explore through the levels and really get all of those collectibles. And while you're doing this, of course, you're progressing through the stages. And the stages are really made up of puzzles. So this is primarily a puzzle and exploration game. Uh, you could, I guess, call it an adventure game, but it's really not like an RPG. You know, mm. you don't have customizable pieces. There are enemies, air quotes. You don't actually fight anything. So it's not survival, it's not fighting, it's puzzling and exploration. Okay. The puzzles in particular are a really good part of the game because they're so heavily integrated into the broader environments. The scale of the puzzles is really what makes them really memorable and fun. They're literally like giant monoliths. Like a puzzle could be made up of three separate towers and you have to do th different things at each of the towers to do a certain thing that makes another thing happen. And this is all just laid out throughout the maps in such a way that causes you, uh, that makes you, it gives you a really good sense of gratification when you put all of the pieces together and the end thing happens yeah. and then you get to move on. It's never like, oh, here's this tiny little box puzzle, for example, or here's a line puzzle. That's not what Rhyme is about. It's about these big, wide-scale puzzles that are part of a broader puzzle that's a broader puzzle. So they're just all integrated into the environment really well. And they're all beautiful by extension. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, though, I will say that the puzzles can be really opaque. There was a particular thing that I'll explain. I guess it's not too spoilery. Uh, when you first land in stage three, you're in this big kind of semi-enclosed room, and yeah. on both sides are just like three levels of doors. They're just open doors. And you walk in one door, into total darkness. Like you just walk into the dark and you're like, wow, I can't see literally anything except Shelby. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I'm kind of trying to navigate through the darkness. I think I've hit a wall. Okay. I can go left. I guess you come out on the other side from another door. You're stuck in a maze loop. Oh. So it's like this really 
interesting maze puzzle, but the maze has no visibility. You're in a maze of darkness. Ugh. And it's like, oh, because there's no map. Rhyme has no map. It's okay. So nothing yeah. to refer to No, at there's all. nothing to refer to. And your guide, your little fox friend, uh, is really just there to guide you through the different stages, stage to stage, not through the minutia of the puzzles. So I actually kind of got a little stuck on that maze puzzle. And I was like, what in the bejesus do I do? Yeah. Because in addition to the two sides... Front and back, you have two spiral staircases. If you go up one spiral, you go up and up and up, and then down and down and down, and you're right back where you started. Oh, and it's weird. like, motherfucker. That would be, uh, it's that would really, be crazy. It's a fantastic, yeah, put that on the board. It's a fantastic piece of gaming physics, and it's done in such a smooth way that you honestly, I mean, I went through the doors at least four times mm -hmm. before I was finally sure that it was a maze puzzle. And I was like, okay, I'm definitely going in one door and coming out another in a really random pattern. Uh, I couldn't really pin down the pattern, and as it turns out, that's not what the puzzle was about. Oh, interesting. So one of Rhyme's See, other... See, I feel like I would have been very frustrated you by would this be, point. So if you ever play it, you can... Yeah, that was actually the one that I struggled the most with. Okay. So if you need help on that one in particular, patrons I, on the I, Discord, you can come and ask me for I help. Be I'll because, give oh. you a hint, because as it turns out, there was one specific thing that you had to do that really in hindsight was so easy, but I didn't think so about it. So easy to overlook. So easy to overlook. And it was just really not expected. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Rhyme really excels at. At face value, these are really basic puzzles, but they have these little twists, these little things that you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's actually a really interesting spin on something, and it takes you by surprise. It makes you think in ways that you may not have in other uh, comparable games, and it adds a lot of value to the puzzles. So I will say that sometimes they're very opaque uh, and very difficult, uh, in particular one instance, but by and large, they're more accessible, and they just still give you that really good feeling of accomplishment when you finish them. Nice. In addition, I will say that in comparison to Fee, which had like no tutorial, mm -hmm. it like barely showed you how to use the controls at all. The rest of it was kind of guesswork. I feel like Rhyme hits a perfect middle ground of being uh, directioned. If you know, it actually tells you a little bit what you're supposed to do without going overboard. Oh, good. Because the controls of Rhyme are so, so basic. You walk, you shout. Oh, you can push things. Like, okay. you can sometimes grab and push things. But, like, that's the extent. I think I can handle that. Yeah, like, that's this grand... I think the game only uses analog, triangle, X for jump, and square for push. Okay. Those are like your, you don't use the shoulder buttons. There are no additional like controls. It's a very simple mechanical game. However, where was I going with this? Oh man, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, Mother of, oh, uh, however, the puzzles are really where you might occasionally need a little bit of help. And the game gives you this tiny bit of added direction, either through sometimes very, uh, vague lighted beacons on the map mm -hmm. really just because some of the maps are really really confusing and because you don't actually have a map to look at the lighted beacons are really helpful they only use them in a couple of instances but they are very much needed in those instances or in some others you might have glyphs like hieroglyphs that you just kind of find throughout the map and it'll like show you it's like oh hey here's kind of a vague depiction of sort of what you're supposed to do and it's like okay i get the gist 
And that's the thing. It's giving you the gist. It's not giving too much away. No one shows up to tell you what to do. There's no dialogue in this game at all, Mm -hmm. which uh, the game uses to great effect. And it makes it to where it's not overly difficult, but it still feels like a challenge. So I think that in terms of direction and how much tutorial they're using, they hit it just right. Nice. As far as... Going back to the first impressions, so this is kind of where things are going to get a little bit spoilery. Okay. And by a little bit, I mean a lot of it. I'm going to try to like yeah, gradually I've, phase you into it. From what you told me, I'm very excited. I mean, because this is one that I'm not like overly concerned about hearing spoilers for me yeah. personally. Normally, I'm very, I'm very uh, against that for me. I don't like anything spoiled. But this one, uh, it, it will be a random whim if and when I do play, just because I know from what you've said, it sounds like an engaging adventure, but not necessarily one that I think would yeah. be my cup of tea. I don't think it's particularly up your alley yeah so the brief summary for those of you that don't want spoilers going ahead here's the final vague review uh, i would probably give it like 8.5 out of 10 in it's my gotta book be eight to, it's gotta yeah. be zero to oh, 100 no, yeah you're right okay so actually i consistent. would give it i'd give it an 87 percent. okay yes i love it that's 87%. pretty high percent that's pretty high and that's justify e- that high rank. So please. even though it's a shorter game, it uses the time it has to phenomenal effect. I was on Twitter and I was telling Jared after I had already finished the game when the ending came up. So right around stage three mm-hmm. is where you really start to have enough context that if you've been paying attention, you can start to put the clues together and you start to realize what rhyme is actually about. When you figure out that turning point and you realize where it's going, like you really become invested. So in the early game in stages one and two, you're like, oh, look at this nice little uh, exploration puzzle. There's some guy in a red cloak that I kind of have to chase around. I don't really know what's happening. Yeah, because when you gave your first yeah. impressions, you were pretty much, that's about how you were with yeah. it. You were like, I don't really know this is going. Yeah, I'm no, I had no idea where it was going. Around, going around on the side. I this think stuff. that if I had spent more time exploring, I would have had a better idea. But for me, right around stage three, where was right around stage three was where I was like, oh, I think I know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I didn't have all the clues, but I had enough of, a, of an idea to really become emotionally hooked on the game. And it was at that point I got through the freaking maze door puzzle and I was like, okay, plowing on ahead. And I finished the game pretty quickly after that. Uh, not in one day, but like the next couple of days, I finished it. And that's because right around the end of stage three, beginning of stage four, the game really reveals what it's about. And it's at that point that it just went next level for me. I was like, oh my God, I did not know this is where Rhyme was going at all. And I think that if you go into it with no context and with fresh eyes, you are going to get the most out of it. So anyone that is listening that's even remotely thinking of playing Rhyme, do stop listening now. (laughs) This is your cutoff point. Skip to the end because from here on, I'm going to be giving away some key story elements that make the game so impactful. Nice. So we're just going to go right into it. Spoilers start now. Boom. So at stage three... I finally bothered to pay attention to an environmental component that I really hadn't given that much credence to before. Okay. So the tower, it's your hub. Mm -hmm. It leads into different doors. As I know now, there are only five doors. And if you count stage one, there's really only four doors. So... In first impressions, I said, oh, it appears to be some sort of interdimensional hub. You go in one door and come out in a completely different world. And I said that maybe it's like a parallel worlds thing. Maybe it's just interdimensional travel. I was sort of right. Mm -hmm. 
but not in the right way. It is your hub to an abstract thought, an abstract emotion. Each door actually represents different stages of an ultimate journey. Okay. I'll get to that more in a minute. I don't want to give it all the way too too quick because it's like really good when it happens. <laughs> so the game actually tries to tell you more about this early on by the trophy titles. So if you're paying attention to the trophies and if you're seeing the titles, this might not happen on Switch, of course. They don't have trophies. Right. But on PS4, I was like, wow, if I had actually paid attention, I think I would have realized the story way earlier on. So if you don't want to know... They might have been what, hidden trophies, though. Yeah, no, they weren't. Oh, they because weren't, really? these are like... Uh, uh, Checkpoint trophies. Oh. So, like, let's say that you finish stage one, it gives you that checkpoint trophy. You finish stage two, you get the checkpoint trophy. But, I mean, if you go to the list of trophies and before yes. you get any of them, usually story-based ones no, are, say, like, hidden No, I think they would be. They'd be hidden. Okay. But when you get them, obviously, if you had just been it, like, paying gives attention, the, like, yeah, name of what it gives it you the title and okay, a brief okay. description. Now. And if you had actually paid attention to the, to the descriptions, you would have been able to put the pieces together way sooner than I did. But I was totally not paying attention because <laughs> I was like, don't care about trophies, whatever, blasting through. So if you're paying attention, you realize these things earlier on. There was something I overlooked in the first two stages. When you enter each of the doors pretty early on in the stages, you come into what is often like just a large room. Not a central room per se, just a big room. And in the middle of each of them, I realize now is a figure, like a big monolithic statue of a man sitting in a chair. And the first one, he just looks like a king. Like he's just poised like a king. So in the very first one, I kind of looked at it very briefly and went, cool, went around. I did not look at it that much at all. Mm -hmm. I realized now there was a very similar second statue, but with different qualities. It looked different in stage two. In stage three, I finally really looked at the statue. And it was a man in a chair, the same man, really. And he was in a different pose this time. His, like, head was tilted up. His arms were out like this. And you realize that he really kind of has a face of anguish, like a face of he's asking God for something. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that stage, I was like, oh, I think I know what that means now. And I did know what it means. So stage four really brings this all together Essentially, what the game is trying to get you to realize is that it's five stages, wait for it, are the stages of grief. Okay, okay. I kind of thought that's why yeah, you, where you were going with this. where we were going. So stage one is denial. Stage two is anger. I don't even remember what the anger statue looked like because I you did just, not like, look at it. Yeah, like I walked up thought. to it and went, cool, went around. I just wasn't paying attention. But stage three was bargaining. So he was looking up to the heavens, asking for a miracle. Uh, stage four is, of course, depression. Mm-hmm. And stage five is acceptance. I didn't put any of that together in the early game, like not even a little. And then finally at the end of bargaining, I was like, oh my God, I'm pretty sure it's because, the five stages of grief. And that's surprising to me because you normally connect those dots in these games pretty easily. <laughs> and then when I don't, and I'm talking about this earlier, you heckle me about it. And so I'm surprised. Yeah. That you missed on. Yeah, I totally, I was just like, and part of that again is because I was missing so much. One of the first keyholes with your memories that I found was in stage three. I hadn't found any from stages one and two. Oh, so you were missing some pretty important so pieces I of the puzzle. So I was missing some big pieces of the broader puzzle that really I do think 
helped me in a way because they helped me have this really impactful emotional experience. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, now I have to go back and play the game again and find all of these keyholes because I want to know the whole story. I have most of it now, but still. Uh, So I finally realized it's the five stages of grief. And at the end of stage, at the beginning of stage four, you're like, okay, I really know what it is now because stage one, denial, bright happy. It's like this really interesting island. You're just having a good time. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, this is awesome. Stage two, I realize now, portrayed anger in a fascinating way. Because you may have remembered me talking about this goddamn bird that's just like swooping in out of the sky to heckle Shelby and you're like, fuck off, bird! (laughs) Like, it's, you just cannot and I say that word because I thought that about the bird so much. What I realize now is that every time the bird swoops down like it's about to get you, the game did a great job of like the edges of the vision of the game would suddenly like become red, they would intensify, mm. and it was like your your eyes blurring with rage. Right. And it's like, oh my God, I wish I had picked up on that sooner. That's I realized pretty interesting now, mechanic. Yeah, it's a really interesting mechanic. And the landscape of stage two is really kind of like this hot more desert-like, not a wasteland per se, but you can tell it's blazing hot. The sun is just beating down on you. And as it does, this bird is just relentlessly swooping down anytime you're out in, out in the open to just attack you. And if it gets you, you just kind of have to start over. It basically kills you, but not really because it's Shelby's fine. Um, stage three, by contrast beautiful. It was arguably the most visually beautiful stage. It was green, lush, had a fascinating balance of land areas and water areas. There is some swimming. It's not as bad as like some of the Legend of Zelda's water-based levels, but there's some, you gotta do some diving, you gotta swim around, you do have to get air bubbles or you die. But it did this in such a way that it wasn't annoying. It's Mm -hmm. actually very manageable. So it's definitely not a deterrent to the game overall. But in stage three, is where you also get more emotionally attached because you as Shelby, you, not accidentally, you create this thing called the Sentinel, or it's what I call it. I just call it the Sentinel. It's basically one giant golden globe, kind of like with an electronic eye right in the middle, and two really derpy, spindly legs. Like, it's just a ball and then two legs, and it's like walking around, (laughs) kind of like a granddaddy long legs. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Yeah. But initially, all you find are the corpses of these things all over the place. You're like, what are all of these big, giant robotic things? I don't know what these are. Eventually, you accidentally wake up a really, really old one that's really pretty broken down. It leads you into another area. It busts down a door kind of just by smashing into it. And then it straight up dies. And you're like, no, my friend, come back. And then you have to go on this next puzzle that is creating a brand new one. So you create a new sentinel from scratch. And when it, you basically give birth to it, like you make this thing from nothing to something. Mm -hmm. And like it comes out of like being made and it like doesn't really even know how to walk. It's like kind of wobbling around and you're like, um, hmm, what should I do here? So Shelby actually kind of has to mirror how to walk to the thing. And it's just a really cute moment because it's like, oh, okay, I got you, bro. Like it doesn't talk. It just looks at you and walks around and it helps you through the majority of stage three. And even just in that short time, you build a really strong bond with this thing. Because up till now, the environment has only been these creepy shadows. I I call them the shades. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just like these weird kind of hunched over emo goth shadows. And you're like, um, excuse me, go away. Uh, And the bird. Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
mother bird. <laughs> so, so far, aside from your fox friend, you haven't had much in the environment to latch onto. This thing, the sentinel, this giant, is really your first friend in the game. And Shelby clearly becomes attached to it. You have to go through the entire level using it to complete puzzles, which adds an extra dimension of interest and difficulty to the puzzles. And then at the end of stage three, I was so nervous because I was like, oh my God, I know I'm at the end of stage three. All of my sentinel friends are gonna go away. This sucks wrong a little bit. So at the end of stage three, you go back into the tower, right? You're alone. You go up the stairs to the next point of the tower. And then when you enter that door from the sides, file in the sentinels and you're like, oh, they're back. Yeah. Sweet. So they come in. You basically swim into the next stage with all the sentinels. It's cool. this really interesting moment of they're marching right alongside you into the next stage, which is depression. And this is where the game just takes its super emotional turn. Okay. You get into stage four, and Shelby is riding on top of his best sentinel pal. We'll call him Job. I don't okay. know, why not? <laughs> So you're riding on your sentinel through the ocean. It's through stormy waves. It's dark. It's raining. You're approaching this island in the mist that is black, covered in rain. You're like, oh, this is looking bad. Mm -hmm. And it mirrors depression really, really well. So you get to the island. You know, Job drops you off, basically. And you're like, okay, I thought they were going to leave. Wrong. They still come with you. And I was like, yay, my sentinel pals get to come with me. But now you have this dreading feeling that something is going to happen. Yeah. So you're traversing through depression. And it's a fascinating level because this is where it really starts to give you one of the key components of what the story is actually leading to, which is this big M. Night Shyamalan-esque twist. So at this stage, you haven't seen the red-cloaked figure in a while. Mm -hmm. But you as Shelby, you have like a little red capelet, right? And you're right. like, okay, I'm probably related to that dude somehow. I don't know how, but I'm going to find him. You get through the end of depression, like towards the end, and... Your sentinel along the way has to give its life for you by becoming the key to a massive door. Oh, my. Goodness. My apologies for that. Whew. Just as I was getting emotionally invested. I know, right? Just taking well, out of it. Well, the team chat discord going on. Oh, oh hook, my God. Right? Yeah, just so don't don't look at it. Uh, a big fender a big fur. fender fur. Where the hell did that come from? I don't know. God. Uh, so anyways, you get to this door. Your sentinel friend has to give itself up to get you through the door. Shelby is devastated. Like, he's like, no. Like, he's trying to stop the sentinel before it becomes part of the door. And, like, when you lose your sentinel friend, I was like, God, I'm gonna die. So some Kleenex nearby? Like, Kleenex, I was, anyone? I was already feeling kind of choked up. Like, yeah. I was already on the verge, because I was like, I get really emotionally attached sometimes. I really liked Job. That's why your Pikmin <laughs> never die. Yeah, that's why my Pikmin never die. So you go into the next section of depression alone as Shelby. You have a lot more to complete still. And you get to the statue that you realize is Shelby. Like, it very much is just a statue of Shelby on the ground, head in his hands, like, clearly destroyed. So not one of the big ones of, like, this the king. Not the king. Okay, This one just is one clearly a Shelby. child, and it's clearly Shelby. Okay. And this is the first time you've encountered something like this. So it's like, oh, why am I here in this level as a statue? And you basically have to do a common puzzle in rhyme, which is find the four smaller statues, activate them. They do something to the big statue. So you go, you activate all four of the smaller statues. It completes the final statue of Shelby. And when you get to it, 
your fox friend. Your friend that's been with you the oh whole game. Your fox friend has been helping you activate the four smaller statues. You get to the final one once it's fully activated. Your fox friend gets absorbed into the final statue. What? And it's like, I was devastated. I was like, no, fox friend. I, was cr- I wasn't actually crying, but I was but about you're, to. You're, you're now just like at the tipping point. Because Shelby is like holding fox friend in his arms. Oh, God. As it like dissipates and what? just gets absorbed into the statue. Holy like, hell. Oh my god, this is horrible. And so Shelby is devastated. Shelby's crying. He like stands up, lets out this scream, and the big statue kind of explodes more or less, and real Shelby turns to stone. Oh. And you're like, oh my god, what just happened? Well, this happened? is new. So I was like, is the game over? No, because when you start to move the analog stick... You start to, the statue starts to crack. So you as Shelby as a statue, you start to crack, and when you break out of stone, you're entirely black. So from head to toe, you're just a black shadow with vacant white eyes and just your little red capelet. So similar to those things you've been seeing? So now you look like the red-cloaked man, and it's like, oh. what does this mean? And what it really is in abstract is it's a depiction of how depression can paralyze you and how it can make you cold and dark and closed off to the world. And then you go into this next sequence, still in the stage of depression, where you go into the central tower and as you go into it, you see a new statue. It's the man that you've been seeing Clearly, the red cloaked gri- guy. Yeah, it's, no, no, it's a statue of the king. So oh, I'm oh, sorry. Okay. No, it's like a statue of the sort of king figure that you got you've it, been got seeing. it, got it. And he's grieving, but he's standing. And on the other side of this big sculpture, again, is Shelby. This is the first time you're seeing them both. And throughout all of this, you've been getting these little snippets of this cutscene on a boat on the high seas, and you're like, oh, okay, so this is clearly father and son. And you traverse this tower and get to this one big final thing where you've got this central pillar. And on three sides of it are chains. And you have to complete the puzzle to tear down the chains. And at each stage that you do, it releases another side of this bright light. And it's a depiction of breaking down your walls, coming out of depression, Mm -hmm. you letting your inner light back in. And when you break all the chains and you break apart uh, the light the game kind of does this big, expansive, like, fade-out, and then you wind up back in the hub tower. You're back in the central tower. The light is in the middle of the room. The floor is water, like it's perfect glass. The tower is reflected in itself. You touch the light, become part, not become part of the tower, but you kind of fade back into the tower. The world turns upside down on itself in this great physical thing, You're back in the tower, you're back in the spiral staircase, but you're upside down. You're walking like you're upright, but it's clearly the tower and upside down. It's like M.C. Escher, right? Yeah. It's like one of those weird stairway things, and you're like, David Bowie? Where where he at? (laughs) (laughs) So you're walking backwards, basically upside down in the tower to the final stage, which is acceptance. You get to the end of the tower, you basically get to acceptance, You walk out, not into a new world, but into a small room. And it's clearly a child's room. This is a really weird part of the game because this is the first time you've been in somewhere that feels very real. Mm -hmm. It feels very realistic, real world, and you're like, 
oh, what is this? And you see in the room, there are toys, like what you've been collecting all along. There's a pinwheel, there's a boat, there's what appears to be like a puppet or a wind chime. Looks an awful lot like the Sentinel. And then you're like, okay, what's going on here? But the world is like frozen. It's like it's not real. Yeah. You open your own door, which of what is apparently your room. You walk down a narrow hallway. You open one last door, and there's the man. And he's sitting in a chair, but this time he's real. He's not a statue. He's sitting in a chair, head in his hands, grieving. Shelby goes to touch him. And then the world becomes real again. And you realize the man is the one who's alive. You're dead. Oh, snap. The game is this really fantastic parallel of not just grief and acceptance of the man grieving the loss of his son, Mm -hmm. but you coming to terms with your own death. It's phenomenal. Interesting. It's a phenomenally done sequence. So... That's crazy. It's like, crazy. Because that, yeah. from everything you see of Rhyme, and you know, from promotional material, you would have no idea that that is going to be that you this game is going to no have idea. that level of depth. Yeah. You, now, see, that does make me want to play it. So, and really, I, I, I kind of neglected a really important part of not important, just really cool part of the tower sequences. When you get to the tower in reverse, and you're going up and up and up, when you actually get to that last door and walk through, you're not immediately in the house. I, I kind of skipped a part. You're at the top which is actually the bottom of the tower. Like you've climbed down into the very bottom of the tower. You're looking at this big hole, just like this abyss, because now the tower is hollow. But when you look down, it's not the top of the tower because the world's upside down. It's not the top of the tower. It's open space. It's like starry, it's the heavens, it's beautiful, and all around you, the shades, which you've been seeing throughout this entire, this whole time, Mm -hmm. they're very, they're not, it's not violent, but they're very elegantly diving into the abyss, and you're like, oh man, should I go down there too? And you don't really jump, you just sort of fall into the abyss. You just sort of let it happen. And when you come out that starry side, that heaven side, you're in your room. Okay. And that's when you go through the door, you get to your father, you touch him. He obviously can't see you. So now you are the man. Now you're the father. Okay. And you're in your home and you're like clearly just destroyed because your son is dead. He died by being swept overboard on a boat on the high seas. That's making sense why you the game begins with the being game washed was up onto the island. The game was making you think the whole time that it was your father who had been washed overboard because a lot of these uh, snippets, these cutscenes, weren't intentionally misleading. They were just from the perspective of Shelby who was in denial. Interesting. So now you realize the son is dead. The father is like just looking around his house he's devastated he finally works up the courage to go to his son's room and he's holding a key and you've been finding these keys the whole time the top of the tower is shaped like a keyhole all of this interconnects he finally like chokes it up he opens up the door and you're just in shelby's room and you're looking around it's an empty bed it's like toys that will never be played with again. It's like super emotional. Mm-hmm. And like he goes around and he picks up each item and he just kind of looks at them and he's like, <sighs> and then you finally go to leave the room because that's all there is. So he goes back to the door to leave the room. But when he does, he has that urge to like look back 
And he looks back at the bed and he, he sees a vision of Shelby or like maybe it actually is his ghost. Who knows? Get a little choked up like kind of thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, he sees Shelby on the bed and like he goes over to the bed and they hug one last time and then he goes away and I was like, oh my God, oh my God. that's really where I lost it. Was, oh my God. I'm crying right I now can because tell. it's so like, emotional. I can tell, like my God. <laughs> um, so I got to compose myself. Let me drink some Lacroix. <laughs> You can take a break. Do you need a break? Oh my God. So it's really emotional. So you say goodbye one last time and then he just sort of goes to the window and he's holding a red scrap of fabric. I'm like literally tears rolling down my face right now. <laughs> he's holding that scrap of fabric that was really uh, Shelby's raincoat in reality. Mm. But in his version, it's like his tattered red capelet. He just holds it up to the window. The wind is blowing and he just lets it go. And it Damn. flies out over what you realize is a bay with a big lighthouse out in the distance. The lighthouse that Shelby grew up looking at. The lighthouse that later came to be the tower in his perspective of going through his own journey of acceptance to his own death. And like, I was just losing it. Like the my end God. credits roll. Like I, you, you, te- you tweeted that out saying that oh like, my God. I'm you don't like even literally know. crying. And I was like, Really? Like I was so, that when you said that it was so I I was like I got to know. I, I was actually know. sobbing. So I don't always wear my glasses. You know, if viewers are watching the show regularly, sometimes I'm wearing glasses, sometimes I wear contacts. I was wearing my glasses at the time. I had to take my glasses off because I was crying so hard. My own tears were starting to get on the lenses because I was having to like oh furiously blink my eyes because I was crying so hard. Yeah. And I was like, I had to take my glasses off and just like sob and like try to look at the credits because I wanted to give credit where credit is due. Seriously. And I was just losing it. And so like wow. the credit, the game finally ends and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I was wow. like destroyed. Like it was a happy ending, but obviously a very sad ending. Yeah. I was just like, oh my God. Tell me about it. My goodness. It was one of the more emotional games I've played in the past five to ten years. Really? I Even more than like Life is Strange and stuff like that? Well, Life is Strange was, diff- was different. Right. So it was very emotional in a different way. This was just a super... Because I think what was really effective about Rhyme is that it wanted to tell you one very specific story. Mm -hmm. It wanted to tell you just about this father and his son and their parallel journeys to acceptance. And it did this in such a direct way. You know, with um, Life is Strange, you have a lot of choice. Right, right. You have a ton of choice with what you're doing. With Rhyme, there's no choice components. You're experiencing what Tequila Works wanted you to experience. And they do that in the best way that they can. I mean, the way that they set it all up to its final conclusion was, I, I don't want to say flawless, because mm-hmm. maybe it could have, I don't know, maybe they could have done things better, but like to me, I was just like, Bleh. The, the, ad, the, the, the The end effect the wanted, was achieved. The needed effect. Yeah. The, what, what they want, what they set out to do, it worked on me in spades. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's really where Rhyme comes into its own. And talking about the article that we talked about earlier, where right. the developers of Rhyme were like, you know what, we really had to go back into ourselves to chase what our original vision was. 
I am so glad that they did. I'm wondering what it would have looked like had they not. So actually, some of the things that may that we may not have touched on from the article is when they started drawing these comparisons in the community to Wind Waker and Ico, mm. what they actually started adding in in development were survival components. They were starting to add these more RPG elements, okay. items, that kind of stuff. Skill trees. Ski, yeah, the, so, so things that really would not have fit with Rhyme, and eventually they came to the point where they were like, this isn't the game we wanted to make. Mm-hmm. And that was during the dark time where people weren't hearing anything about Rhyme, and that's the point where they said, you know what? Screw what everybody is expecting. We're going to brush off all this pressure and expectation. We're going back to the beginning. We're going to make the game that we originally set out to make. And thank God they did that. Yeah, it sounds like it. it turned out to be such a unique game. I, I'm not sure I've played a game as pointed that was also as unique. It did a fantastic job just across all boards of what it wanted to tell you and what it wanted you to feel. And I was just like feeling it in so many layers. And I was like, bah! And then in the end game, so this is just kind of a real quick side um, note, it gives you a fantastic opportunity to redo the game because when you complete the game and you go back to the title screen, it finally tells you denial, anger, Bargaining. It didn't tell you any of that on the title screen in the beginning. But now you can go back and you can just freely select which stage you want to start back so over. So you can go back and get the so collectibles you missed. So you can easily go back over like and get the collectibles, go back and find all the things you weren't able to find in the first place. It gives you a directory of the collectibles now. So after you've already completed the game, it gives you a list of all of these things that you can find. But before that, it had them hidden so that you didn't accidentally spoil things for yourself, which I sincerely That's appreciate. Good, yeah. They did, because if you had known that the stages were called Denial, Anger, Bargain, you would already know. You Somebody, would know what the game was trying happened, to tell you. Some loss yeah. dead, something. So you would have had a lot of the game spoiled for you just by the titles of the stages. So the fact that it gave you none of that up front mm-hmm. worked to phenomenal effect. You know, I'm really... 93. I was about to say, you're only giving it an 87? I'm changing my vote. 93%. Okay, there you go. It's almost perfect. If it had been... I was about to say, like, what what was the big detraction from your other one? That that one makes sense. Like, now, okay, that's that's, with how you're describing and how the story impacted you all, that 93 makes so much more sense than an 87. Really, I would say that the main things that detract from it are actually mechanical. Okay. And this can't, you know, it can't be avoided in an indie game. Um, Right. The mechanics, in comparison to other indies like Fee, were a lot smoother. But between the stages, long load times. Ah. When you initially start up the game and go to reaccess your file, long load screen. So there were just little things, occasional stu- occasional stuttering, you mm. know, in the game as you try to do. Drop frame rates. You know, as, as you're dropping frames, it's trying to render these massive rooms. So there were just some things that could have mechanically done been done better. Mm-hmm. But really, those are its only detractors. But story wise, yeah. all that other stuff, it's not story wise. It has a super minimalistic uh, sound of sound. Soundtrack. Mm. So I think that maybe the soundtrack could have been a little bit more intense, but what they used in the context of the game, it's like, okay, anything more would have been too much. Right, right. What they had, it makes sense in context. So it's not the kind of soundtrack that you would freely download just to listen to on your own time, which for a lot of other games we frequently do. Right. It's not that kind of soundtrack, but it makes sense for the game. So in terms of mechanics and in terms of, you know, just some of the little small quality of life things, that's where it drops a couple points for me. But obviously in terms of the story and the visuals and the overall point of the game 
fantastic. Nice. 10 out of 10 would recommend, would give it so, a 93. Honestly, like uh, this is, it, based on the length of the game and all that, this does somewhat. I'm a disaster. It's okay. It's okay. It's an emotional time <laughs> right now. It's an emotional time for me right, right now. <laughs> but like that is kind of making me want to play it and like kind of bump it up a little bit, especially if it's one that I can maybe like knock out on a, on a weekend or something like that. Oh, like you could. Like I, I might, I might want to play it through it. I mean, obviously now I know how it goes and all that stuff, but still it sounds like something that would be incredibly, like an incredible journey to experience. Yeah. It is a journey for sure. And Very emotional. It's an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> see, and this goes back and like how you're talking about this game and how emotionally impactful this game is. This is like one of the reasons why like, we wanted to start this show was to talk about stuff like this. Cause like games, man, you know, games, it's crazy. Like how much of an impact, like and some that they can have. And it's something like in a game like rhyme, like I know it, it did okay. Like, I don't think it like was a, like a blockbuster kind of thing. I mean, tequila works is still going around making other things and doing a, and doing new things. But like, still it's like one that maybe not many people were helping draw a spotlight to yeah. because like, this is obviously an incredible journey in a, in a story that people should experience. Yeah. And I think that, one quick caveat, maybe it had extra importance to me specifically because some people might know recently had a death in my extended family. Yes. So that kind of outer framework from personal life, it could really impact your experience of the game. So that's just something to think about is that if you've recently had a loss, you might cry a lot. Yeah. So that's just something to keep in mind. Little little check mark, keep it in mind. Got it. Wow. Yeah. Like it's that's incredible. That yeah. sounds like an incredible game, an incredible story, an incredible Ob an incredible time spent. Obviously I haven't played it, but I feel like this is the kind of game that has really no emotional comparison to things like Far Cry five, for example. Right. The far it's games a, a different yeah, level. Games Completely like Far Cry, level. they're just totally different things. You're not going to get the same experience. Right. So gamers, mainstream gamers, if you branch out to just one other indie game, just one, make it rhyme. It's worth it. Nice. Very nice. Well, that is Mogan's complete review of Rhyme. Hopefully, for those of you who avoided spoilers, you're able to avoid those spoilers, and you're joining us now for the end of the ending of the episode. Uh, before we go, we do have to do our soundtrack spotlight for this week, and this week's entry is given to us by our good friend Cody Peck. He chose a soundtrack that is very near and dear to my heart. Wells up a lot of that emotion. For me, uh, it is from Horizon Zero Dawn. The Proving is the track. Uh, it's composed by Joris Deman, vocals by Julie Elvin, and they also uh, also co-composed by The Flight. Uh, so the soundtrack for Horizon Zero Dawn is expansive. It's actually over four hours long, which obviously kicks it up a, into a high notch of for me because I just love a good long soundtrack. And so this one is taking place when Aloy is taking part in The Proving. Uh, which is when where, she's but a wee lass. Uh, it's actually this is when she's. It's the thing that she was training for her in whole. In terms of her journey, she's a wee lass. Ah, uh, yes, I understand. <laughs> I understand. And so, yeah, so it's very early on in the game. It's when she has to undertake this this event with the other uh, young people of the Nora tribe to be able. And if she's able to win, she's able to. You know, it's this big moment for her where she'll be able to find out more about her past, who her mother is, who her family is, and all that. Uh, and so it's this big early on moment in the game that really sets a lot of the rest of the story in motion. So uh, it's a great track to go along with a very pivotal moment of the game. So stick around to the end of the episode to listen to that. And uh, I did decide that I'm going to start with these so that people can, you know, because we only have that 20 second segment at the end of the episode before YouTube cuts it off for the end 
for the end screens, I will be posting the links to the full track on our social across our social media on Wednesday, the day after, so Wednesdays, keeping with our how our old song contest used to go. So listen, listen to the snippet now. Look it up then, or find it on on our social media when I post the link to the full track. But the proving from Horizon Zero Dawn. But with that, that concludes this incredibly detailed, incredibly in depth, and emotional review episode I'm still of Team Chat Podcast. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We'll get through it together. <laughs> but episode of Team Chat Podcast. Until next time, I'm one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined by Rachel Moody. Sayonara. We'll see you all next time. Stick around for the song.